Dear Harland, Long doddle no hustle. Hope all is well. I'm trying something different today. I'm sending an electronic audio message in many kilobyte sized bottles. Perhaps you sent one back. So, for segue's sake, when I think about messages in bottles, I think about desert islands. When I think about desert islands, I think about the ocean. And thinking about the ocean makes me think about seafaring vessels. And when I think about seafaring vessels, I think about ships. And when I think about ships, I think about Socrates' ship of state allegory from Plato's Republic. I mean, who doesn't, am I right? The world continues to cook, flood, and burn. As little escapes global warming these days. As well... Little seems to escape politics either. It's like the sadness character in the Pixar movie, Inside Out. It goes around coloring happy memories with sadness, changing the yellow-colored joyful memory balls blue. Likewise, I see politicization as the process of turning various artistic, scientific, athletic, business and philosophical ideas political. How do we decide what to do about something like man-made climate change when we have a stake in something else, if not parallel, then perhaps antagonistic to it? Or what if, by our own accord or not, we have a stake in nothing? You, at least in the past, have talked about competing arguments in the ideal sense. The better argument wins. And no two interlocutors can disagree indefinitely. That was another one that you talk about. But we've also discussed the possibility that no one knows anything. This is for many reasons, of course, many of which are neurological in nature. But along the same line, people are subject to their neuroanatomy. Stress creates a great amount of irrational behavior, and fear-mongered politicking and marketing triggers flight-or-fight responses in people. For instance, from a physiological perspective, following Robert Sapolsky, a stressor is anything that disrupts homeostatic balance. In the presence of an environmental stressor, The vertebrate sympathetic nervous system releases a cascade of hormones from the hypothalamus to the pituitary gland 
both in the brain, and down to the adrenal glands above the kidneys. These hormonal changes help prepare a vertebrate for action in response to a stressor. So again, fight or flight. The sympathetic nervous system's function is said to restore stability within the body and promote the ability of an organism to deal with a threat. To do this, the sympathetic nervous system facilitates some parts of the body's nervous system and inhibits others. When adrenaline glands release glucocorticoids during the stress response, they increase neuronal excitement in the amygdala. The brain's amygdala, along with the hippocampus, play a role in memory and learning. And when it comes to fear, the amygdala and hippocampus offer the cue in context, respectively. Under more relaxed conditions, the prefrontal cortex provides the accuracy. But due to the rapid changes in the sympathetic nervous system, the prefrontal cortex is inhibited and the amygdala facilitated. So a cop sees a gun in someone's hand at night that turns out was only a cell phone. Or a person sees a tiger wandering in their backyard that turns out to be the neighbor's tabby. Psychologist Richard Lazarus led an attempt to give stress a psychological point of view. Lazarus and colleague Susan Folkman defined psychological stress as a particular relationship between the person and the environment that is appraised by the person as taxing or exceeding his or her resources and endangering his or her well-being. But I think the big concern is chronic stress or sustained stress. To quote Robert Sapolsky once more, Sustained stress impairs risk assessment. But it also generates displacement aggression and makes people more selfish. Perhaps people are more willing to go with how they feel than consider the risks of their own behavior down the line. Maybe people are more inclined to pull the trigger at the convenience store or less inclined to bake a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. Do we humans not deal with the real or perceived threats on a daily basis today? When will we not? If anthropologists are right, then foragers are at some kind of slower pace of change with their world and thus are less stressed. But in the world dominated by ever rapidly changing technologies and social contexts, how can we ever relax? When does our prefrontal cortex get a chance to work without such frequent interruptions? If civilization is a ship, and the open ocean is the great unknown, and we're often stuck in chimp mode, why wouldn't there be a mutiny on a regular basis? You know, so you win the argument. It could still steer us into the rocks. Ted Kaczynski wrote a rather vulgar piece using the ship of state as his backdrop. In it, everyone is fighting over where to steer the ship and what is okay behavior while on it. It's all political correctness and incorrectness run amok. Meanwhile, the cabin boy is trying to get everyone's attention in order to avoid an oncoming iceberg, which I imagine is climate change. This is all very Titanic-like. 
I figured like Socrates before him, Kaczynski sees himself as the voice of reason, you know, be it the navigator in Socrates' case or the cabin boy in Kaczynski's. My point is this. We all think we're the cabin boy, but we're really just another mutineer. Many think they know best. And if they don't think they know best, they think they know what isn't best. Or at least they think they know someone who does know what's best. In, any, in either case, whether it's direct or indirect, they know. Yet, as we have discussed, we know nothing. Our arguments, if we have any, only have their predecessors and competitors for reference. And we are easily stressed out. At sale, the shore receding further and further away. Anyway, thanks for listening. Your friend and fellow dawdler, Ryan seems I'm not alone in being alone McKenna. <laughs>